I'm uh, very, very thrilled that James Barron is here to speak. And uh, the message that he has prepared is, I've seen the outline, I think you're in for a treat. God's going to break through and speak some mighty areas. James, you come. Bless you, brother. One thing, one thing about the, uh, the revelation of the finished work of Christ, I think is so awesome, is uh, Paul says in his letter to the Colossians that as the, the mystery of Christ and his work for us is revealed to us, that the Spirit knits our hearts together. Isn't that cool? It's like, um, it's like it happens automatically when we... Uh, really begin to take in the revelation of his great love for us and the grace of God. It's like you, we miss each other. We're glad to see each other when we haven't seen each other. It's just really cool. It's a spiritual work where our hearts are knitted together. It's one of the, I think, the byproducts of, of just the new covenant of grace. Um, whereas if, it's, if you live in a, under a legalistic view of God, um, it's kind of hard to get people's hearts knitted together. You know, people are judging each other or, or comparing themselves one with another, Paul says. And, you know, it's just, it's really, it's amazing God's wisdom and releasing us from our sins and bringing his life in all of us so that our hearts are knitted together automatically. Isn't that cool? It's very cool. I want to share some thoughts this morning about, um, you know, the, we wrote, I wrote on, on the program there, the, the great is the mystery um, of our godliness. And the scripture says in Timothy, Paul says that, that great is the mystery of our godliness. Um, what God did in Christ is such a mystery. I love that where it speaks of the Lord. It says, we read this verse during Christmas time where it says, um, for a son is given, a child shall be born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and those words should be grouped together, by the way. It's not wonderful, comma, counselor, but it's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the reason why he's a wonderful counselor is because his counsel is full of wonder. It's full of wonder. It's, it's not like the natural man's way of thinking. It's, in fact, his counsel is almost like foolishness to the natural man, and it is. But I love that. His counsel is wonderful. It's full of wonder. So what I'm going to share this morning, I think, is it's to me, it's just full of wonder. And it's awesome. Um, so I pray that we would just be open to hear this because it's something that the Jesus taught, and the apostles taught, and it's very rarely heard in the church today because of uh, various reasons. But it's just, it's so cool. It's so key. The angel spoke to Peter in the book of Acts and he said, he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I love that in Acts 5.20, all the words of this life. And one of the words of this life, of this work of Christ, has to do with what happened when we were born of the Spirit. What really happened when, when God uh, raised us from the dead, the scripture says, uh, in these bodies. And just to, to lay it out there, I want to share some thoughts about this, but Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He did not say that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is now flesh and spirit. 
And that's a real big key because he didn't say that I'm not going to, God didn't infuse us with his spirit to work on us, uh, to make us holy, to make us more acceptable to him. Um, there are two views basically in the church today, I think. One view is where uh, a believer is seen as someone who's forgiven and who remains forgiven on a daily basis as they confess their sins and keep short accounts with God in terms of, you know, uh, we've heard that phrase before. Basically, it's, it's implied that you owe God something, so you got to keep a short account and ask forgiveness so that account is wiped clean on a daily basis. Um, and that person is, even though he's a believer, he still has an evil heart. And the Spirit of God has been given to help that person search the evil out of their heart and work on it. The Spirit works on it. The Spirit convicts us of sin so we can repent of that sin and gradually become more and more Christ-like. Um, and then one day when we're free from this body, we'll finally be, you know, free from having to work on ourselves and so forth. That is the understanding of most believers. Most believers see the Christian life as basically forgiven on a daily basis as I confess my sins and do the right thing. Um, the Spirit of God is given to me to work on me so I can become a better person. And this view uh, says that you basically are at war with yourself. This view says that you have a civil war going on inside of you. Civil war. A war with yourself. That uh, spirit is saved but the soul is being worked on and, and there's a battle between spirit and soul and and, um, and the flesh is there somehow, and, and uh, it, it's like the old uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and you know, one day I'm Dr. Jekyll, and one day I'm Mr. Hyde. Um, it's, it's the old thing we hear preachers teach about how you, know, you got two dogs in a fight, which dog's gonna win? The one you feed, so feed the one, feed the dog, the good dog, you know, with Bible study and prayer and going to church, and the good dog's gonna win. That's not what Jesus came to do. I tell you, the, the the, what he accomplished, um, and that's why we're, everything's so confusing, I think, sometimes about what is a new creation, what is not a new creation, and, you know, if I'm a new creation, why do I still sin, and so forth. Well, the, to me, that's, all right, that's, I think, a view that is widespread in the church. We see each other, we see ourselves that way. But I believe the Scripture teaches that what Jesus did in dying for us, that he literally brought us, us, through death. That we literally were, in God's eyes, crucified with Christ. And if I was judged and I was crucified and I died, if the old me died and was buried, as the scripture teaches, and if God raised a new person then that new person he raised, this new creation, he said he raised it perfect. That this new creation is uh, without blemish, it's holy, it's perfect. He also said, that the scripture teaches that even though we are in this shell, um, the scripture says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, um, even though we're in this shell and we do sin at times, the scripture teaches that sin is not imputed to us anymore because we're not under law. When there is no law, sin is not imputed. All these verses begin to come alive when you see, oh my God, he really did it. He really raised a new creation but left us in this old shell. And the way I think about it is, um, when, and, and this new creation has a new heart. It's completely new. It's a new person. 
Um, the scripture says you're no longer, I'm no longer from below, but I'm from above. I'm a new person within this shell. And the scripture says I have the mind of Christ. I, now I have the mind of Christ. I'm not trying to get it. I have the mind of Christ in the spirit. And I was thinking about how, how to uh, visualize this, and I was going to get those uh, plastic eggs from, that we have during Easter out of the attic, and I forgot I put it in storage. And, but um, but the, if you think about those three plastic, think of three plastic eggs, you know, where you have a, a big egg and another egg that's smaller and a smaller egg that's in the middle. It's, it's one way to kind of look at it. It's when we were in the flesh, before we were born of the Spirit, it's like the big egg and the, real, the small egg is inside, say the, the smallest egg is inside the big egg. And that's how we were before we were born of the Spirit. We were like in the flesh. We were dead to God spiritually. We were darkened in our understanding. We had an evil heart, all those things. And what God did was when he raised us up from the dead, and the, reason, the way that happened is by the Spirit of God touching our dead spirit because we believed. After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's what the scripture calls regeneration. So after we believed, then the Spirit touched our spirit as a gift because we believed Jesus did take my sin upon himself. He did take my judgment. I believe that I can never be righteous in myself and I believe that he took my judgment for me. And when we believe, God gives us the gift of righteousness and the miracle takes place, the Spirit comes and touches our spirit. So kind of picture, the way I picture it is that it's like the middle egg is like the Spirit of God and when God comes into us, it's like our innermost being is the spirit. Then you have, I guess you could look at the soul around the spirit, the invisible man. But when the spirit touched our spirit, think about this, this beautiful water flowing from your spirit that flows out and covers your soul, that covers the inner man. So that middle egg would be like the spirit so that the smaller egg would be you and I, the inner, inward person being placed inside the spirit. So you have these two eggs, the small egg being us, the person, inside the Spirit of God, and now those two eggs are inside the big egg still. So the big egg is just the shell, that's the old man, I mean not the old man, but the old creation, the body. And so we have actually been um, covered and protected, encased by the Spirit of God. Now what's so awesome about this is that the Scripture teaches that the, the Spirit of God, when he did this miracle, he actually cut away, Colossians says he cut away the body of the flesh. He cut away the body of the flesh. See, if the, if the battle was between soul and spirit, then he would have cut between the spirit and the soul. He didn't cut between spirit and soul. He cut between the flesh, the body, outward man and inward man. And Paul talks about the inward man is, is righteous and, is, and has life because of the righteousness of God, but the outer man is, is dead because of sin. The body is dying because of sin. So what God did was he actually quarantined the power of sin in our members, in our body. And this is the truth. This is part of all the words of this life. This is the truth that helps us really understand the new creation. It helps me so much in issues of condemnation. It helps you issues in uh, identity as sons of God. Your body, my body is infected with the power of sin. It's in the body. It's in the body. Infected with the power of sin in the body. That's why 
as long as we're in these bodies, we see in part, we prophesy in part, we can't really see clearly, but the scripture says the moment you leave the body, you will know all things as you are known instantly because the only interference that you have now is because we're having to work through these brains and this body. The spirit's renewing the mind so we can see who we really are in the spirit. It's awesome. So that means, saints, that when, that when you sin, when I sin, that's not the real me sinning. The scripture says in 1 John 3, 9, it says that the seed of God abides within the new creation and he cannot sin. Cannot sin. The new man cannot sin. The new creation cannot sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the seed of God, the DNA of God abides within the believer, the new man, and he cannot sin. And think about it, it makes sense. If, a new creation, if the new creation could sin, we would need another reconciliation. We would need another sacrifice. We need another redemption. So the wisdom of God is to bring us through death into life, join us to himself, literally translate us from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You are literally in a different dimension in the spirit. That's why Paul says, you're no longer in the flesh if the spirit of Christ is within you, for you are in the spirit. And that's why it's called the flesh too, because flesh refers to the body. Flesh, body, this power of sin in the body. Now, sometimes there are... You know, you can, tell, you can tell what truth is or what truth was preached in the first, gener- first century, the first century church because by the, by the heresies that came out of the truth. You can tell a lot about the truth by the heresies that came out of the truth. For instance, we have First John. John writes about the Gnostic heresy that said um, they took this truth about sin being in the body. They took this truth and they said, well, that means all matter is evil. The body's evil. And all matter is evil. And, and they had their way of finding God through levels of knowledge and so forth. That's why they were called the Gnostics. And that's why John addressed that issue. And he said, and they said Jesus could not have come in the flesh as a, as a real man because he's, he, obviously all matter is evil and so forth. And that's why John says, if any man say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, he is antichrist. And, and they addressed those issues. You know why we don't have those, those uh, issues to address today? We don't have these kind of heresies today? Because we're not preaching the truth that they preached back then. You can trace heresies back to the truth and you can see, now we read those scriptures and we go, duh, of course he came in the flesh. I mean, what was the big deal? But it was a big deal because they were preaching that there was sin in the flesh, that that was not the real person, that was a power within the body. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit had Paul write the word body there, not the old man. And so you can see, so sometimes you'll see the enemy, we've got to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. The enemy will try to keep you and I from truth by scaring you and thinking, oh, you can't accept that because that's this heresy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, you know, in preaching that we're free from law and we're under grace. I can't tell you how many times people have accused me of being antinomian. It's another trick of the enemy. Oh, he's antinomian, you know, because he says we're not under law, you know. Never mind the fact that Paul says you're dead to the law, you're released from the law, you're free from the law, you're not under the law. I mean, I mean, and besides, I'm a lawyer, so I can't be antinomian. <laughs> I practice law, so hey, God has a sense of humor. It's like, that's, that's one argument they, you know, they can't even use. Antinomian is, is a term that means, you know, you believe that you're, you can be lawless and do whatever you want and live out, you know, whatever. You, that's ridiculous. We're not saying that at all. That's, they accuse Paul of that. But don't let, 
the enemy used that to keep you from the truth of being free from the law and under grace. We know that whatever the law says, it says it to those who are under the law, the scripture says. And we're not under the law. It's awesome. And the enemy uses those, you know, just like the old greasy grace and uh, easy believism, the enemy uses those terms to throw at you to say, oh, maybe I should back off a little bit on this grace because, you know, maybe, no, that's just a trick of the enemy. And the same thing happens with this about power, the power of sin in the body. Because the mind races and the enemy starts whispering things like, oh, he's just trying to remove responsibility for his sin. Because then he can just say, oh, my body did it. Or the devil made me do it. You know, and that's exactly what the enemy will do. They'll, they'll say, uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's real convenient for you to have that theology because then you can just blame it on your body and take no responsibility. But the truth is, the truth is, have you ever, have, would you even think about telling an orange tree that it, that it has a responsibility to bear oranges? I mean, would you ever think like that? Would you think, you know, you know, that orange tree has a responsibility to bear oranges. And if the orange tree could talk to you, the orange tree would say to you, responsibility? Uh, I don't understand the question. I don't understand what you just said. I, I just bear oranges because that's who I am. That's, who, that's what I do. That's what I do. I bear oranges. I don't know anything about responsibility. I just know that that's who I am. Don't let the enemy trick you to keep you from this awesome truth. Because you know what happens when we realize that as Paul says in Romans 7, the sin is not, this, when I find myself sinning in Romans 7, he realized it's not I that's sinning, but it's the power of sin in my flesh, warring against my mind, knowing, realize this, the mind there is being warred against by the flesh. You do have a new mind. I have the mind of Christ. See, the power of sin in the body, in my members, Paul says in Romans 7, wars against my mind, against it, against the new man who delights in God and the inward man. So what happens when we see this awesome truth of the new creation of who I really am, we realize Love did this for me. Love did this for me. Love did this for me so I wouldn't have to worry. Love did this for me. Love raised me up. Love made me new. Love did this. And when I see the height and the width and the breath of the love of God, the scripture says, I'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And you know what? When you're filled with all the fullness of God, saints, we can't help but bear oranges. We can't help but be who we are. It is spiritual. It is God. It, no flesh can glory in his presence and take credit for the good works or the good things because it just is. 
We abide and we bear much fruit, Jesus said. We abide and we find ourselves being who we are. The enemy wants you to think to be condemned when you sin. The enemy wants, to see, wants you to see yourself still in your flesh in need of daily cleansing. The enemy wants you to uh, not think of yourself as a son of the most high God, an heir of God and co-heir with Christ. The enemy doesn't want you to see what is inside that earthen vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. We live in a total dependence on him who is our life. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but through him, we can do all things. The spirit will short circuit the power of sin in the body. It is resurrection life. It is not a matter of the mind overcoming the power of sin in the body. That's what Romans 7 says. I knew what to do, he said. I knew what was right and what was wrong. And I hated sin. There's the emotion. He had knowledge of right and wrong. He had the emotion, I hate sin. He says, I willed to do it. There's the will, the mind, the will, the emotion. I will to do right. I knew what was right. I hated to do wrong. And yet I found God revealed to me a power working in my body and my members that always brought me into captivity every time and so God revealed to him it's not a matter of your mind of just knowledge or your will or your emotion hating sin some people's gospel out there is all about fear of God and hate sin I can name the person well known throughout the world that's her gospel fear of God and hate sin that's not the gospel that's not the good news Paul tried it didn't work the good news is that Christ lives in me. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus lives in me as I rest in this reality of who he is through faith. The spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. And when we stumble and fall, there's no condemnation whatsoever because he has done it. Sin is not even imputed and it doesn't lead to more sin. The enemy will say, if you take this route, you know, that's what they said when Israel was brought into the promised land. The elders said, we can't take this land. There are giants in this land. We can't take the, the, this land that you promised full of milk and honey. Forget it. There are giants. We can't do this. The giants in the land are a picture of the power of sin in your body. There are no giants to fight in heaven. Contrary to teaching out there that the promised land is heaven when we die, no, there are no giants to fight in heaven. That's the here and now in Christ. The promised land full of milk and honey is Christ. And we can possess or enjoy our promised land as the giants are pushed back. And how are the giants put back, pushed back? The giants, well, first of all, the, the, the people that said we can't do this, they said, in the eyes of the giants, we are as grasshoppers. So they listened to the enemy tell them who they were. In the eyes of the giants, we are but grasshoppers in their sight. Therefore, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb said, God says, in God's eyes, we can do this. In fact, they're bread for us. Joshua and Caleb, who had a different spirit, said, they're bread for us. 
And you know what God said to the elders who said, we can't do this, we can't go into this promised land, we can't, this, this won't work, this thing won't work, grace won't work, you gotta keep people under law. You know what God said? He said to the elders, he said, you're not gonna see the, the bounty of this land, you're not gonna see it. You're gonna wander for 40 years, 40 years in your legalism. But you know those children that you said, they, oh, that's what they said. They said, our children are going to be just destroyed. They're going to kill all our kids. They're going to destroy our kids. We can't do this. And God said, and you know those children, your children that you said would be destroyed in that land? God said, I'll bring them in. And this is how he said it. He said, the, your children that you said would be a prey, P-R-E-Y, they would be a prey in that land? These children, and this is how he said it, these children who have no knowledge of good or evil, I will bring them in. I will bring them in. Forty years later, he did. There was a hint in there. God was saying, it's not about the law. It's not about the knowledge of right and wrong. It's about my power. And how did they overcome these giants and overcome the walls? All of that is symbolic of Christ. Going around the, the wall seven times speaks of seven completion, a completed work, and shouting, you know, all this speaks of Christ, speaks of the way of faith, speaks of revelation, speaks of God's work, not man's work. They didn't fight those giants themselves. They didn't push those walls down themselves. This is the Lord's battle, not ours. And that's how it works. That's how he works. That's how he lives through us. Well, you know, saints, there's all, those two views of the Christian life, you know, a view here where, you know, we're forgiven on a daily basis and we still have an evil heart and the Spirit of God is given to help us work on that heart and try to make us, you know, better people um, as opposed to we're forgiven once for all. Sin is not imputed. God counts us as righteous, not just as forgiven, but righteous, created new in Him with a new heart, though living in a shell this earthen shell, treasures and earthen vessels, those two views cannot be correct. In fact, they're mutually exclusive. And we have to choose which view we believe. Paul says, I pray that you adopt no other view. Paul says, I pray that you adopt no other view than the view that I'm explaining to you in Galatians and Romans and Corinthians. If you adopt this view, then life will be most miserable. Because though you are a believer and though you're in Christ, we will not enjoy what God has done. And in the treadmill of legalism and self-consciousness will wear you out. And that's where most believers are, I think. They get burned out. They say, I can't, leave. I can't live this life. I can't be good enough. I guess God doesn't love me. I guess he's really fed up with me now. I guess he's really tired of me now. You know, I can't do this. I, every time I pray, I just have a thousand sins to confess to get right with God, so I just don't pray anymore. I mean, it's rampant in the church, and the enemy's just laughing. Or we can have this view that's revealed in the Scripture, what the apostles taught, what Jesus taught, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's not spirit and flesh. It's a whole new beginning, a whole new creation that lives within this shell. And live by him, living in a way that 
allows his spirit to put to death the deeds of the body as we are going from faith to faith and glory to glory. That's why Paul says the, the glory that was with the giving of the law is nothing compared to the glory in the coming of the new covenant of grace. Because Moses' face, which was shining outwardly when he saw the glory of God, was fading. So he put a veil over his face and his face was fading. He says, but in our situation, our covenant, the the glory is not on the outside, just a, a, a temporal thing. It is on the inside and it's shining out. And it shines brighter and brighter. That's why Paul wrote like he did. The life is being manifested through this body. And we, with open face, bold speech, no veil, we proclaim with great hope the resurrection of Christ and the new creation which is here now. And the mind has been renewed to this reality. You are the sons and daughters of the living God. You do have the authority of heaven. The Lord himself is your father, Abba, daddy. No matter what we go through, he is with us always. If God before you, who or what can be against you? It's awesome. And the enemy, the enemy, We know each other no more after the flesh, but after the spirit. We see the invisible. That's why Paul says, look not at that which is seen, but that which is unseen. That which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. We, our bodies are infected with the power of sin. Do you realize in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, the word sin appears 41 times, and only one time is it used as a verb. 40 times the word sin is used as a noun. It's not just acts of what we do. It is a power within the body. It's a noun, it's an entity, it's a power that's within your very mortal being. That's why flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why your body will not inherit the kingdom of God. It must be transformed according to his glorious body. When he is revealed, your body will be transformed and my body will be transformed and mortality shall put on immortality. And that which is inside will match the outside and will pass over. That's why absent from the body is present with the Lord. God's not working on you. And then suddenly, just before the end, when you die, he finishes up real fast so you can go into heaven. (laughs) God is not in a panic. Oh my God. You know, that's how we got purgatory. Man didn't believe this, man did not believe this truth. They saw it this way and they said, oh, it can't be that good, it's gotta be this way. And so they've invented purgatory. So there's gotta be a place to get cleaned up or fixed up or penalized or something. Purged, purgatory purged before we go into heaven. But you know what? We, we say that that's really bad teaching and all, but we do the same thing in, in churches. We, our purgatory is, is present. Their purgatory at least is after they die. And it doesn't exist. But our purgatory and a lot of evangelical churches is present now. We're being purged right now. God's working on us to make us holy, make us blameless. No. At what point are you holy enough to have fellowship with God? Holy God. At what point are you holy enough to be one with him? For he who, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, Paul says. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. If we're not holy now, we'll never be holy. 
If we're not without spot, without wrinkle, now we'll never be. Just like Clark says, God is not going to do anything more for us or to us than he will, that he's already done. That's why it's walk of faith. We go from faith to faith to greater faith. And what happens? There's a greater manifestation of glory to glory to glory. Not I'm getting more righteous, more righteous, more righteous, but more glory and more glory is getting out. Isn't that awesome? I tell you, I played football in high school. I wasn't much of a football player, but man, I love preaching. Touchdown for Jesus. Where did that come from? Awesome. We don't have two natures, saints. We have one nature because we have one Father. We have been made a partaker of the divine nature. We are no longer from below. We are from above. And that's why I don't recommend, I don't recommend the new International Version Bible. The, the NIV, I don't recommend it because you can see for yourself in chapter seven, Romans seven, instead of translating it from the text, they translate, instead of, they trans, instead of translating flesh, they translate sinful nature. It's clearly an act by the translators to impose their doctrine on you. Do not recommend the New International Version and it's widespread and it's widely promoted among bookstores and companies worldwide. Sure, it's got a lot of good things in it that are correct, but that's key, that's key. It's not the sinful nature. The, the word is sarks in the Greek. Roman, you can check it out for yourself, Romans 7. It's sarks, it's translated flesh every, everywhere else, not sinful nature. We have a new nature. And God has moved the power of sin into our mortal body which why Paul said the spirit's alive because of righteousness, but the body's dead because of sin. The inward man is being renewed day by day, but the outward man is decaying day by day. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is nothing in the scripture that says the Lord's gonna have to finish up what he started in you real quick before you go to heaven. There's nothing in the scripture that says that physical death adds anything to the work of Christ. It's done. It's finished, which is why that is what walking by faith is all about. And what's cool about this, you don't even have to, we don't have to even understand all this stuff. We just have to believe God. Just believe. I don't have to understand all how this works. I just have to believe that, wow, he says I'm complete on the inside. One day we'll see it. Paul had an experience. God showed Paul this. Paul says, you know, I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body. I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body, but he made me feel like I was out of the body and he showed me what it's like out of the body and I cannot believe how awesome it is. And then I was back in the body if I was out of the body, but I felt like I was back in the body and I can't articulate what I saw. You see how it's all about the body and the inward man? 
That's why Paul says the Spirit now manifests the life of Christ through our body. That's why he says the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. The old man is actually the old you, the invisible you that's tied to the flesh that was dead in sin. And when, we, when God cut away the new you, or cut away, rather, cut away the real you from the inside and raised you not from the dead and created us new and left us in these bodies, the, the old man cannot exist. The old man really is gone. It cannot exist. The old man only exists if it's joined to the flesh. That's the old man. So you, you are totally, you and I are totally new. The only thing we're battling is this power of sin that's in our body, our members. And that's liberating to me. Isn't that awesome? These are the things that God says, call unto me. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call unto me. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. I'm excited because I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's more things he's going to open up to us about his awesome work. And you know what's going to happen, saints? As we behold him and set our minds on heavenly things and the reality of our union with him, it's going to get so real. You know that song where it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim? That's actually happening to us now. I mean, you, you and I are actually, the unseen becomes more real, more tangible than the seen. We really will know each other after the spirit, not after the flesh. We will look beyond the body and see the person, the real person who is new in Christ and seek ways to encourage that person to see. Not looking for sins in the flesh, for God has judged that, buried it. We nurture now each other by telling each other the truth of who we are in Christ and thereby be, be built up in him. It's so awesome. It's such wisdom. It's such a rest, such peace such power. I'll just close with this. Um, one of our presidents uh, years ago, uh, about 100 years ago, I guess, uh, James Garfield, I think it was, an assassin's bullet hit him, didn't kill him right away. I believe he was our 20th president, James Garfield, and he had... Um, a bullet in him, and they didn't have x-rays back in those days, in the 1800s, and so they were trying to um, get the bullet out. And so the way they would try to, the doctors back then would reach in and try to find the bullet, and they couldn't find the bullet to get it out. And then he died three months later, this is all history, he died three months later, and um, they said he didn't die from the bullet. He died from the probing, the probing in his body for the bullet. And they said he'd, he'd live uh, probably a normal life with the bullet in him. I know it's really true. My grandfather had, he was squirrel hunting with a friend and they were crossing a fence with the shotguns and the shotguns slid off the fence and went off and hit him in the back and he had shot all in his back. And they laid him in the back of a truck and took him to the hospital and they got most of the shot out. but not all of it and he lived to 83 years old and with bullets in him legalism this view right here 
says you got to probe you got to get your look look into your flesh and get your sin and deal with it and it's a lie of the enemy through the law is the knowledge of sin that's what the law did the law exposed sin the law reveals sin but not for the purpose of, of freeing us from it it made it stronger the scripture says the law is the strength of sin the law's purpose was to bring us to the end of ourselves so we realized we couldn't do this we couldn't fix ourselves where the law reveals sin grace reveals Christ Christ and who we are in him for we have been created new in him after his image the new man we look to him we set our minds on things above we look at Jesus we look at him we see the glory of God in the face of Christ and we rest in this reality and life is manifested it's a miracle it's a miracle beautiful waters touched our spirit and flowed over our soul encased us within when we were born from above beautiful waters and a fire from heaven encased the real you on the inside separating you from your sin and your body as far as the east is from the west you were translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son and you sit with him now in heavenly places in the spirit it's a reality that simply is whether you reckon it so or not it is that's what is that's what Jesus meant when he said, you shall come to know the truth and the truth will set us free. It's a work worthy of God. That view of Christianity, not even close. That's religion. That's man. This is a counsel full of wonder. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father. Oh, Abraham, look up and see the stars. If you can count them. Wonder. Lord, help us see these things. Help us see the reality of the Christ. Oh, the great riches in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in you, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see. Lord, as we leave here now, we pray that the Spirit of God will take these words. Help us understand more and more of this great mystery of death and resurrection. Help us see your love, Lord. Love did this for us. Love did this for us. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.